So each man to his gun, for the work must be done, with cutlass, sword, or pistol. And when we can no longer strike a blow, then fire the magazine, boys, and up we go. It's better to swim in the sea below than to swing in the air and feed the crow, says jolly Ned Teach of Bristol. This rather gruesome poem romanticizes the suicidal, frenzied last stand of the infamous pirate Blackbeard, who fought authorities to his dying breath. Written in 1719 by founding father of the United States, Benjamin Franklin, this poem shows just how famous the swashbuckling pirate seaman of the golden age of sail could become. Not even the pens of America's most powerful and learned were above poeticizing pirates. That's because pirates were a big deal. They were not just unwashed thugs at sea. Whether it was impact on trade or their impact on the Western imagination, pirates redefined ideas of freedom and justice. With lives of criminal liberty, pirates struggled against the elements, stealing from merchants, battling navies, and keeping to their codes. The lives of these ferocious and flawed individuals, as well as some of the most legendary pirate captains, will be the focus of a series of episodes on this channel. Because of course, there was more to pirates than daring romanticism. Pirate captains and their crew were violent and ruthless. Part of this was a necessity, but some captains went beyond the normal, creating a sickening art from atrocity. Captain Blackbeard and Charles Vane, both household names to this day, were such captains, employing cruelty in a calculated, systematic way. Both men prospered and perished, living and dying, by the Jolly Roger. But these pirates feel almost mythological, as real to us as Captain Jack Sparrow or Harry Potter. Who were Blackbeard and Charles Vane, and how did they end up capturing hearts and minds alongside ships and silver? We'll answer these questions and more in this episode. Our first looking at the lucrative, violent, and often tragic lives of pirates throughout history. This is Wars of the World. No discussion of fearsome pirates would be complete without mentioning Blackbeard. A symbol of swashbucklers during the golden age of piracy, Blackbeard shaped and defined our very understanding of what it means to be a pirate. Across his career of terror and tyranny, Blackbeard plundered as many as 45 ships, a testament to his cunning as well as ruthlessness. But who was Blackbeard, and how did he become a household name? For someone so famous, little is known about the man's early life. Assumed to be 35 or 40 at death, Blackbeard was likely born around 1680. No record of this survives, nor any of his actual name. Usually referred to as Edward Teach, other accounts give him surnames such as Thatch, Thack, Tack, and more. This isn't unusual for pirates. Clearly, Mr. T, like other pirates, preferred to keep his identity secret. 
probably born in Bristol, England's southwestern seaport and centre of trade, Teach would have had many opportunities to pursue a life in Britain's expanding overseas operations, perhaps first journeying to the Caribbean during the War of Spanish Succession to raid Spanish towns and shipping. Such men were known as privateers. Not paid by any government, privateers were given licenses to make money raiding the shipping of enemy powers. Essentially, state-sponsored piracy. Useful during the semi-constant warring of Europe's expanding Atlantic kingdoms, such privateers would quickly become a nuisance during peacetime, when their businesses in blood and booty was turned against fresh targets. Likely, Blackbeard was one such privateer. Following the signing of the Peace of Utrecht in 1715, ending the war between Great Britain and Spain, Blackbeard moved from Jamaica, long a centre of British power in the region, to New Providence, the Bahamas, an emerging centre for pirates. Described by one as, quote, no city of homes, it was a place of temporary sojourn and refreshment for a literally floating population. New Providence was a lawless, dangerous place the perfect base for Blackbeard's adventures. Joining the crew of another captain, Benjamin Hornigold, Teach joined the ranks with other famous pirates like Samuel Bellany or Black Sam, all members of the infamous Flying Gang. Hornigold made Teach his lieutenant, giving him command of a small, single-masted ship with six guns and a crew of 70-odd men. Blackbeard soon proved his worth, capturing a vessel sailing out of Havana containing 120 barrels of flour. Now Blackbeard was making serious dough. To wash down this victory, a sloop was taken outside of Bermuda. Within it, 100 barrels of wine. This turned out to be so much to the crew's taste that when stopping a Spanish vessel sailing from Madeira, a Spanish island famed for its sweet wine, Blackbeard and his quartermaster lost control of the crew entirely. The captured vessel was robbed of all alcohol and then sunk before the rest of the cargo could even be taken. Blackbeard would not forget this instance where he lost control of his men, as we will see later. And so it went, with Blackbeard serving under Hornigold with a ship or two under his command, careening around the Caribbean, capturing ships and their cargoes and getting, if not very rich, then at least very drunk. That was until Hornigold was demoted in 1717 and promptly retired. The reason for this was likely because of his insistence that only vessels of his old enemy, the Spanish, be attacked. With juicy British vessels filled with precious, potentially alcoholic cargo, lazily passing by New Providence so often, they became a meal too tempting for the pirates to tolerate. This is where the story of Edward Teach takes a huge turn. Now he served not Hornigold, but himself. Left in charge with the remainder of the less principled pirate crew members, Blackbeard would soon justify his infamy. Within a year, Blackbeard attacked a French merchant vessel filled with slaves, firing broadsides from each of his two ships into the large vessel. With the surrender of that ship secured, Teach took it for himself, fitting it out with guns and renaming her the Queen Anne's Revenge. Weighing 200 tons and at an imposing size, the Queen Anne's Revenge was as much an effective fighting vessel as it was a visible statement of success the pirate equivalent of a multinational company building itself a shiny glass skyscraper. 
Across the top, he fixed the iconic, though disputed, Blackbeard's flag, using symbolism of blood, death, and the devil to strike fear into unfortunate observers. Following a successful attack on a well-armed merchant ship, the Great Allen, Blackbeard's fleet is described by the newspaper The Boston Newsletter as consisting of a French ship of 32 guns, a brigantine of 10 guns, and a sloop of 12 guns. By that reckoning, Blackbeard likely commanded as many as 150 men. On one occasion, dining aboard the Queen Anne's Revenge, Blackbeard sat opposite his first mate. In the middle of eating, he blew out the candle in front of him and in one swift motion, pulled out his pistol, shooting his first mate in the knee. The reasons why he did this are unclear. When asked, he is alleged to have said, if I don't shoot one or two crewmen every now and then, they forget who I am. Do you remember the time his crew got drunk and disobeyed his orders? Yes, that sort of thing would not be happening again. During May of 1718, Blackbeard took part in one dramatic event, reminiscent of a scene in the popular film, The Pirates of the Caribbean. In the film, the crew of the Black Pearl lead an attack on Port Royal, Jamaica, capturing Elizabeth. Well, in this instance, Blackbeard led an attack on the town of Charlestown, South Carolina. While threatening hostages, some of them wealthy women, with execution in order to gain supplies, the town authorities delayed. Blackbeard initially gave them the benefit of the doubt, but following further delays, sailed all his boats into the harbor. Mass panic ensued. The supplies were quickly rounded up by the terrified townspeople, but not before more than a few pirates managed to make it to shore, where they quickly became very drunk. To his credit, Teach kept his side of the bargain and released the hostages alive, albeit deprived of any valuables they had, including some fine clothing some of them had been wearing. After this, Blackbeard learnt of an incoming fleet sailing from England, determined to stamp out the Caribbean piracy. Teach decided to sail northwards to avoid capture. This move turned out to be disastrous. The prize vessel, the Queen Anne's Revenge, ran aground, cracking her main mast and damaging many important timbers. Attempts to rescue the vessel resulted in another ship running aground, and Blackbeard was forced to abandon the two ships. Following this, Blackbeard made himself a base in a North Carolinian inlet, collecting tolls from passing ships in the Pamlico Sound. He shared the profits with the corrupt governor of North Carolina. The money was easy, but soon irritated the planters of Carolina so much that they succeeded in having a British naval force sent to neutralize Blackbeard once and for all. At this point, Blackbeard and his crew were well known. Numerous accounts of a tall, strong, black-bearded pirate were circulating in the taverns and marketplaces all across the New World, from Boston to Brazil. One author says of how Edward Teach assumed the cognomen of Blackbeard from that large quantity of hair, which, like a frightful meteor, covered his whole face and frightened America more than any comet that has appeared there in a long time. Inspiring fear, an important part of any pirate captain's responsibility, became not just a task for Teach. With his terrifyingly memorable appearance, Blackbeard turned it into an art. In addition to his fearsome mass of facial hair, Blackbeard would affix small candles and pieces of fuse, lighting these before going into battle. Tall, fierce, and wreathed in smoke, 
Blackbeard's presence on board must have felt demonic. The British forces must have been more than a little nervous about their mission to hunt down this notorious man. Under Lieutenant Robert Manyard, two sloops found Blackbeard and his pirates moored off Ocracoke Island. Blackbeard's vessel, the Adventure, sighted them and immediately fired a full broadside once within range, cannons echoing thunderously over the sandy shores. Acting decisively, Teach cut his anchor to reduce weight and swung round, presenting his next row of loaded cannon. With the distance closed, the Adventure fired again on the two sloops. This broadside attack was devastating, as iron balls ripped through the sloop's timbers, pulverizing the crew inside, about one-third of the British forces were killed instantly, many of Maynard's key officers included. The aftermath was confusion and chaos, with small arms fire cracking out across the vessels, a number of which had run aground on the shallow sands. Blackbeard attempted to board one vessel, closing the distance between the two ships before snaring their target with grappling hooks. At this point, an exchange is said to have occurred between Blackbeard and Maynard. Upon Maynard declaring his intentions to kill or imprison Blackbeard, the pirate captain took a glass of liquor and toasting his enemy declared, Damnation seize my soul if I give you any quarter or take any from you. A fight to the death it would be. In this battle, more than clever lines were traded, and makeshift grenades soon followed, breaking across the blood-soaked British deck, covering it in smoke, flames, and flying shrapnel. Maynard had the good sense to order his men under the deck, ready to spring out on his command. And so, when Blackbeard and his pirates swung over to engage in hand-to-hand combat, the British burst forth from the decks in ambush, taking the pirates by surprise. In the ensuing fury, Blackbeard and Maynard met in hand-to-hand combat, each firing a flintlock pistol at the other, but missing, threw them away and advanced upon one another, sword in hand. A tall, powerful man, Blackbeard swung his cutlass at Maynard, who, parrying, had his sword broken. A few moments later, and Blackbeard would have killed the British commander, but in the heat of the moment, a British sailor slashed Blackbeard across the neck. Staggering back, badly wounded, Blackbeard was rushed by a mob of men, madly striking at the huge bearded figure, wreathed in smoke, stabbing him wildly until he was dead. The remaining pirates lost faith and surrendered. Blackbeard was dead and his pirate crew was defeated. Upon examining the body, Maynard found Teach had been shot five times and received 20 cuts. Many pirates ended their careers wealthy men, many more ended it in poverty. Some ended hanging from the gallows, executed for their crimes, but few pirates died while making as dramatic a last stand as Blackbeard. And so, after death, his legend lives on. Teacher's body was thrown into the inlet, with his head being tied up on Maynard's sloop, being used to claim a reward. Unexplained lights at sea are, by some, referred to to this day as Teacher's Light. The legend goes that the once notorious pirate captain now roams the high seas on a ghostly vessel, searching in vain for his decapitated head so that his friends and the devil might recognize him. Of course, this is but an old sailor's tale, but what cannot be dismissed is Blackbeard's larger-than-life figure, 
He stood out on the field of battle, huge and intimidating, and stands out to this very day in much the same way, a cultural giant towering over other pirates in our imaginations. Considering his terrifying appearance and incredible final stand, it is not hard to see why. Born in England around 1680, little is known about the early life of Charles Vane. What is known, however, is that Vane was one of the cruelest pirates ever to sail the high seas, leader of the ruthless and brazen group of pirates, the Flying Gang. Feared by many, Charles Vane was a miraculous man, refusing the king's pardon when many others submitted, evading Robert Maynard, the man who captured Blackbeard, pillaging ship after ship, and all of this achieved while being as horrible to his own men as he was to captured sailors. The man was so good at piracy that for a time, he almost put a halt to the entire trade in the West Indies, ironically using violence and cruelty in a way that would temporarily frustrate the transatlantic slave trade. This is the story of how Charles Vane for so long thrived, despite making enemies everywhere he went. Starting his pirating career in 1716, Charles served on the crew of the Captain Henry Jennings. Like many other pirate ships at the time, this meant raiding ships, as well as the camps set up on the coast to salvage from wrecked Spanish galleons. This was lucrative. In 1715, around 11 to 12 ships were wrecked off the coast of Florida during a hurricane. Brimming with silver and gold coins, minted from wealth taken from Spain's new imperial possessions in Central and South America, the ill-gotten gains of another type of business in blood, this collection of treasure was so large that it is still making treasure hunters millionaires to this day. The pirates made fat profits, stealing from those who sought easy money amidst these lost ships. While Jennings took the king's pardon in 1718, retiring from piracy in return for freedom from persecution, Vane became the captain of his vessel. He led the crew members who, like Vane, refused to take the pardon many of them Scottish Jacobians, with no love for George I. This happened at the time when most other pirates were keeping a low profile, for the English were increasing their presence in the region. Still, Vane took it upon himself to stand out. Captured but later released, Vane soon started capturing ships, earning notoriety through organizing beatings and torture to ensure the surrender of valuables. He captured a number of ships, one of them a 20-gun French vessel that Charles made his flagship. A new governor arrived in the region, sailing his flagship, the Delicia, along with two other warships, the Rose and the Milford, impressive vessels to cement his authority. They went after Vane, blocking him in the Nassau Harbor, New Providence. Vane was in a tight spot. The English vessels were larger and better armed. If he couldn't dislodge them and escape, capture and execution seemed unavoidable. Desperate times called for desperate measures. That night, Vane turned his French ship into a fire ship, loading it up with flammable material and sailing it towards the governor's fleet, fully ablaze. Although all three of those ships were able to avoid the furious flames leaping from the doomed warship, they were forced to scatter, unblocking the channel. 
With his opening clear, Vane commandeered a small 24-gun sloop, the Catherine, and escaped out of the small gap that had just formed in the blockade. Armed and angrier than ever, Charles Vane was now one of the biggest threats to shipping in the entire Caribbean. He immediately started doing what he did best, causing mayhem and getting rich and powerful from it. After a string of attacks, often involving brutal torture and the murder of captured sailors, Vane's pirate fleet expanded rapidly. Before long, Charles commanded an eight-vessel strong force from his brigantine flagship. Efforts by the Carolinian government to capture Vane were in vain. He was known to break the pirate code, an unwritten set of conventions routinely cheating his men out of their fair share of any treasure. He would also break conventions towards prisoners, promising quarter and fair treatment to vessels and, when they surrendered without resistance, torturing them and murdering them regardless. Charles Vane really was an exceptionally evil character. Returning that August of 1718 to the pirate haven of Nassau to marry a woman he had met, Charles for a while threatened to take the city itself. He evidently had a change of heart, however, and following his marriage, sailed to the Ocracoke Inlet to set up with Blackbeard. Upon meeting, the crews of these two feared captains celebrated for two days and two nights, losing themselves in feasting and drunken revelry. It would be fascinating to know exactly what happened during this legendary party between two of history's most infamous pirates, if only we had more evidence. Alas, pirates, famously illiterate, did not write things down, and from what we can gather of the festivities, wouldn't remember much of what happened the night before, even if they had the inclination and skill to record it. Anyway, following this legendary pirate party, Vane raided an island of the Bahamas in October, sailing off with their liquor and livestock. On November the 23rd, a large frigate was spotted. Vane ordered the hoisting of the Jolly Roger, surrender or die. When the frigate instead raised the French naval ensign and opened fire, Vane decided to withdraw, considering his ships outgunned. This turned out to be an error. Frustrated with a recent lack of plunder, not to mention their captain's iron discipline and continued attempts to cheat them out of any valuables they did capture, Vane's crew took this retreat as a sign of cowardice and an opportunity to mutiny. In short order, Charles was voted out of command, to be replaced by none other than Calico Jack Rackham. Calico Jack was no coward himself, and his adventures alongside the two cross-dressing pirates Anne Bonny and Mary Reed are truly exceptional in themselves, but that's a story for another time. Vane, alongside 16 other crew members who supported him, departed the pirate fleet on a ship they were given, sailing to the Bay Islands of the coast of Honduras. Not quite done with the pirate's life, these men captured sloops along the way, but it would all come crashing down. In February of 1719, this small but growing pirate squadron was caught by a hurricane. Vane was separated from the other ships and wrecked on an uninhabited island. He survived here for some time, for there was water present. But with the presence of water came the interest of naval vessels, always looking for a drink. When English ships arrived to resupply on the stuff, Vane was recognized by a former acquaintance on board. He was arrested, taken to Spanish Town, Jamaica, and imprisoned for some time. On the 22nd of March, 1721, Charles Vance was tried for piracy, found guilty, and sentenced to death. Seven days later, he was hanged at Gallows Point in Port Royal. 
to further discourage all who might be considering the adventure and fat profits of a career in piracy, Vane's body was hung in chains at Gun Cay, the northernmost of a small group of islands just outside the harbour. From this point, residents of Port Royal as well as passing ships would have been able to see the decomposing body of the once notorious Charles Vane, swinging to and fro in the breeze. Like Blackbeard, Charles Vane used terror to make men loyal and captives pliant. Unfortunately for him, his tendency for cruelty was less calculated, more unconscious. I believe Vane just enjoyed torturing people. That could be fine. After all, most pirates were okay with cruelty and violence. It was part of the job, but that tolerance ended when they were the ones being tortured. Charles Vane lost his crew, his ship, and shortly after, his life. Blackbeard was no stranger to violence, but he had no love for it either. For him, it was a tool. Teach preferred to avoid pulling out fingernails and cutting throats, lighting his beard on fire and explaining his cruel intentions in slow, colorful detail. It was a kinder way of pirating, and he didn't need to rinse blood from the deck quite so often. Despite their differences, these two terrifying, deadly pirates, Blackbeard and Vane, remain well known today, each being so infamous as to be household names centuries after their deaths. Blackbeard defines our image of a pirate captain, a tall, imposing man, flamboyantly dressed and bearded. Vane, likewise, defines our ideas on pirate cruelty, heartless, scheming, and self-serving to the last moment. With lives as fascinating as their legends, these men will be remembered for centuries to come. And there you have the tales of the two deadliest and most feared pirate captains. Please leave a comment down below with your own thoughts and reactions, and remember to like this video and subscribe to support the channel. Thank you for watching, and I'll see you next time.